Welcome to the Crossroads Church Sermon Podcast. The following message is meant to help intersect your road with God's road. Crossroads Church gathers to discover God, grow in Him, and reach out to others. For more information, visit crossroadsstjames.life. We've got uh, uh, Palm Sunday and they got Easter coming up and all these fun holidays that are that are coming up and, and those kinds of things. Now, it's none of the holidays that we celebrate, and we've talked about this before. None of them are in the Bible. They actually didn't celebrate uh, Easter. With, you know, in the Bible, it, it seems like we have evidence that the the earliest church, the early church that we see in the Bible. I, I call it the early church. That's what we read in the Bible. And then the later early church, the stuff that happened, you know, after all the apostles were dead and gone. But anyways, um, you know, none of that stuff is is in the Bible. You know, we're, we're not told to, you know, make sure you practice Easter, make sure you practice Christmas and those kinds of things. And even, you know, there's some kind of goofy stuff behind some of the things we we celebrate uh, concerning like pagan rituals and stuff like that. And I'm not here to, to to land blast anything. And some people are like, you know, you shouldn't be celebrating those things. You should be celebrating these other holidays and that kind of stuff. And I'm like, well, you know, the the Jews actually made up some holidays that are in the Bible. You know, the, the only God-ordained, quote-unquote, God-ordained holidays are in Leviticus chapter 3. He has the seven feasts that he... He, he established, and one of them is, is a weekly thing. The first one is the Sabbath. Every Sabbath, it was, it was quote-unquote a holiday, you know. So you had, you had the Sabbath, you got Passover, first fruits. Um, what's after that? Pentecost, which is also weeks. Uh, then you have um, trumpets, uh, day, of, day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, and then finally it, it closes all up with, with the booths. Uh, the Feast of Booths. But it, it's kind of funny, you know, when you look at that, God doesn't have like a winter holiday. <laughs> it's like he knew winter's terrible. So sorry about that, guys. This has to happen, but you're just going to have to sit in the dark, cold dead of winter and just <laughs> wait until spring comes before you can start celebrating and having fun. No, but um, all these different holidays come up and, and all this stuff. And I, I always think about, you know, Easter and, uh, you know, I've, I've got a slight bone to pick when it comes to Easter. So way back in the day, real early, the later early church, uh, some of the, the foundations of our holidays, sadly, are they wanted to, uh, the early Christian church wanted, the later early Christian church wanted to separate themselves from Judaism. Like, we don't want to look like Jews. We don't want to do any of that stuff. So we're definitely not celebrating any of these feasts and everything. And so we're, we're, we're not, no, we're not going to celebrate Passover. We're not going to do any of that stuff. And so they run into a problem when it comes to Easter. And so they're like, well, Easter happened, you know, at the time of Passover. So we got to figure something out. The Eastern Orthodox Church was like, listen, we're, we're so anti-Judaism that we're going to use a totally different calendar from all of you in the Western world. And uh, we're going to be like 15 days after you guys. And so Easter and Passover will never cross over. It's never going to happen. It's like a law within the Eastern Orthodox. That, that can't happen. And so uh, there were some churches that did practice. You know, listen, we can't figure out a date for Easter. We can't pinpoint the exact day. So let's just do it every Sunday after Passover. Well, then they have the Council of Nicaea in 325 A.D., 
and they they're like, let's figure out if we can establish <laughs> establish a time frame for Easter. And so, what did they do? Instead of like picking a day or anything, they decided to come up with an algorithm and say, this is how we're going to figure out Easter. Easter is going to be the first Sunday after the first full moon of the vernal equinox, which is the first day of spring. And that's how they determined it. And they're like, okay, so that is when Easter is always going to be. Now. That does leave with a majority of the time, Easter will fall on the Sunday after Passover, but not all the time. So mark your calendars for next year. This is where I have a bone to pick with this whole Council of Nicaea, because they weren't thinking about us. They weren't thinking about people in Minnesota, you know, 1,400, 15, 2,000 years later. You know, let's, let's, let's make this hard for people. And, and so next year... Easter is on March 31st. I hate early Easters. I hate early Easters. I'm allowed to hate early Easters. It's just a date, okay? But it's like, man, really? You know you know, there's going to be like eight feet of snow next year for Easter, but March 31st. Guess when Passover is? Passover is April 26th next year. Like, man, the Jews do have something, right? Can't we just make it right here? Sunday after Passover, that's, that's what we want. This year it does coincide. Passover is April, April 7th, so Easter's April 9th. But, man, next year, that's, that's where I really have a bone to pick with, with the Council of Nicaea and this stupid math problem. But anyways, um, you look at these things, and, and you look at these holidays, and we celebrate them, and, and hopefully they're... They're God-centered for you in your family, in your life. And, you know, the original reason for all of these things, I mean, even Lent, you know, we're, we're in Lent right now. We're not. Like, we're, our church does not encourage or discourage you to practice Lent. You want to practice Lent? Go for it. If you don't, if you don't, that's, that's fine. That's fine also. Um, but uh, you, you get to that point where it's like when you get to those holidays and you get to those times of celebration, you get to times where we're gathering together on Sunday mornings, what are we doing this for? What, what is the purpose of it? And in our story in Zechariah, we come to that point. The people in the, the returning exiles have this issue where they come to Zechariah and they ask him if they should keep doing what they're doing now that they're back in Jerusalem. So we see the exiles who are rebuilding the temple. They run into that same situation, kind of thinking about this stuff. And so they go to Zechariah and they ask him. So if you have your Bibles, open the book of Zechariah. Um, if it's electronic, it's easy to find if you're looking at the pages. Uh, again, second to last book of the Old Testament. You got Malachi, and then you move back a book, and there's Zechariah. Right in the middle there, Zechariah chapter 7, starting at verse 1. In the fourth year of King Darius, so the, the temple still isn't built. Remember, we talked about that a couple weeks ago. The temple was finished and completed in the sixth year of King Darius. But during the middle of the building project here, in the fourth year of King Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah on the fourth day of the ninth month, which is Chislev. Now, the people of Bethel had sent Sharazer and Regamelech and their men to entreat the favor of the Lord, saying to the priests of the house of the Lord of hosts and to the prophets, Should I weep and abstain in the fifth month as I have done for so many years? So in short, what you've got is a group of people that come up, led by some Pokemon named Sharzar. No, I'm just kidding. Sharzar is a Pokemon, right? I don't know how to pronounce this guy's name. Sharzar or something like that. So they come up, they show up, and they're like, 
so we've been fasting this whole time um, uh, in the fifth month. Should, should we keep doing that? Now, now a, key, a key to the question here is when he says, should we continue in our weeping and fasting? Should we continue to weep and fast as we've done every fifth month? So this indicates that, listen, when we fast, the, the thing that we're doing here is kind of remembering our sins and the fact that we're in exile because we were terrible human beings and our fathers were idiots and morons and didn't want to listen to you. And so we would fast every fifth month to remember that, to remember our sins, to remember we're guilty, we're morons, we're whatever. And I mean, technically, in short, it's, it's a bit of false humility. We'll get to that in a minute. But, but that's mainly what they're, they're looking at. They're like, should we keep doing this now that we're back in Jerusalem? So they ask Zechariah, and Zechariah, of course, comes to the Lord. And we're already told that the word of the Lord comes to, came to Zechariah. But when he comes out with the answer, he actually doesn't initially answer their question. In fact, what does he do as, as God often does, and especially with Jesus? Jesus often does this by the time he gets to earth. He answers the question with what? More questions. <laughs> let's ask you some questions. Let's, let's think about what you're asking about is really what God is doing. So look at verse 4. Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me. Say to all the people of the land, not just these guys that showed up, not just the Pokemon that showed up, but everybody. Uh, so the people of the land and the priests, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth month and in the seventh, see, they're, they, they're doing even more than just the fifth month. So he's, he's letting everybody know, hey, you're not the only ones that did this. In the fifth and the seventh month, for these 70 years, been doing it for 70 years, was it for me that you fasted? Was it for me that you fasted? Verse 6, and when you eat, when you drink, do you not eat for yourselves and drink for yourselves? Verse 7, were not these the words that the Lord proclaimed by the former prophets when Jerusalem was inhabited and prosperous with her cities around her and the south and the lowland were inhabited? So God comes out and he's, he gets them thinking. So when he did that fasting and that mourning and all that weeping and all that good stuff, was it for me that you did it for? Did you do it for me? And of course, the rhetorical answer is, well, if you're asking God, probably not. <laughs> Apparently, we weren't doing that. They weren't fasting for God. They were doing it for themselves. Look at poor me. I'm a sinner. I'm, I'm terrible. Again, it's, it's, an a, it's, it's an act of false humility. And they really lacked any honor to God. They just thought, this is a good thing to do, so, so I'm going to do it. But then the focus was off. The focus was off. It wasn't on God. So let's dive into this a little bit and, and maybe, get, maybe even get a little bit uncomfortable at how much God wants to be at the center of everything we do. God wants to be at the center of everything we do. Now, this wasn't just a case, you know, a problem in the Old Testament. We actually see this issue in the New Testament long after Jesus has ascended. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, verse 17, some of you I'm sure have heard this story before. It's talking about communion and it's talking about gathering together. And, you know, back in the day when Jesus, uh, well, after Jesus was, was gone and, and the church gathered together, I mean, they, they wouldn't just gather together, sing a song and, 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 and talk and stuff. They, they would eat. I mean, they would, they would feast. They would have a good time. They'd, they'd celebrate and all this stuff. But look at what Paul says in, in the middle of all this. Chapter, uh, chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, verse 17, says this, But in the following instructions, I do not commend you because, you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. 
For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have the house? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. So they had the same issue in Corinthians, the same kind of thing. You gather together, you do all this stuff, and it's fun, it's neat and all that. But, but listen, you're not doing it with God. God's not in the center of it. God's not in the middle of all that. Some of you stuff your faces like you're some crazy freak eating food while the, you're, the person sitting next to you is sitting there starving because they can't eat. He goes on with various instructions. Hey, listen, you got a big appetite? Eat a little bit before you come to church. What do you say, huh? <laughs> that way, when you do come, everybody can share and partake. You don't just have, you know, slobs like Pastor Dave eating all the food <laughs> while skinny minis like his daughter Lily are just sitting there not eating anything. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's really what Christ is saying. That's what, I mean, that's what God is saying through Paul is the idea of, listen, you, you have this issue where you're not putting God at the center. If you had God at the center, this would not be a problem. I'd be able to commend you in how you're doing your services and how you're worshiping. So let's bring it back to today. Let's bring it all the way fast forward. So a few, few years ago, went to my, my cousin's wedding. It was a Catholic wedding. Now, if you go to hockey games, sometimes they'll have so many fights that the joke at the end of the game is, dude, I went to this fight and a hockey game broke out, <laughs> even though you intended to go to a hockey game. Well, that was the kind of the idea with my cousin's wedding. Went to my cousin's wedding and a Catholic mass broke out. <laughs> we get there and, and if it wasn't for them standing at the front and the priest saying, hey, we're here to bring these two together in holy matrimony, never would have thought there was a wedding at all. <laughs> so the, he stands up, he introduces them as this is what we're doing. And then he has them sit down in two special seats. And then from there, for like the next hour, it was a Catholic mass. I mean, even the sermon like, had nothing to do with marriage. It was just like, I, I kind of think he's like, well, there's a lot of people here. Because there was. There was quite a few people there. You know what? I'm going to kill two birds with one stone. Listen, I'm going to do my sermon for tomorrow today. And then that way, if you guys don't want to come tomorrow because you're going to be drunk off your rear ends from the party tonight, don't worry about it. We'll cover it today. So he preaches the sermon. Everything happens. Even has communion, which is common for those of you who have been to uh, Catholic funerals or Catholic weddings. They always take uh, communion. So they had communion, and, and everybody's coming for I mean, it's just person after person after person coming up. Some people are, are very, you know, somber about it, and they're crossing themselves. Some of them, I mean, a couple of folks, I mean, they're like kneeling. They're doing the cross thing and then looking up, you know, like a with puppy dog eyes and receive the Eucharist and which is the bread and stuff. And then the, it's like, wow, this is, this is amazing. Now I was smart enough because I learned the hard way that my family and I, we just, we just sat in the pew and just watched everybody do this because when I went to a Catholic funeral many years before that, my sister got reprimanded by the priest. You're not Catholic. Go sit down. <laughs> we were like, one, how'd that dude know that? Like, nobody else has, like, a sign on them. <laughs> I'm Catholic. Give me, give me communion. But he knew her, and so 
We sat there and we said, no, you just stay seated. I don't want my own kids to be embarrassed uh, by having someone say, get, get out of here. You're, you're not Catholic. And so it just went and it just kept going. You know, you had the communion coming up. It got to the point where I was like, well, what in the world? Maybe we're going to have some, you know, confirmations going on here. Maybe we got some baptisms. What else is going to happen today? I thought I came for a wedding, but I came for a Catholic mass. Finally, everybody is done with the the communion and stuff, and the sermon's over and all that stuff. And then he brings my cousin and her then-fiancé back up to the front and gives a little, you know, the exchanging of the vows. You know, and this is great. Anybody got the ring? Great. Put the ring on her finger, kiss her. Here's husband and wife. And, like, for, like, the last ten minutes... They got married <laughs> again, went to a wedding and a Catholic mass broke out. It was the weirdest thing I'd ever been to. We get out of that service and I'm like, they did get married, right? They, they really did. It happened. I didn't miss it, right? I didn't blink and all of a sudden, oh, they're married. No, they, they did right at, right at the tail end. And it was so weird to me. It was so odd to me. But at the same time, it's, it's kind of what we're looking at today. This whole idea of, is God at the center of all of it? Now, don't get me wrong. I don't think that's a good example of God being at the center of that. Because, like I said, he has them sit down. And then he goes into a message, nothing about marriage or anything. I don't even remember what the message was about. And, and they, they have the service. But the idea of, in everything that you do... God really does want to be at the center of it, at the middle of it. And so to an extent, I kind of caught myself being like, that was really odd. But at the same time, at least they included God in the middle of it. Now, I'm not, like I said, I'm not saying that that was the perfect way to do it, but, but that is what God is looking for. Am I at the middle of all these things? You know, like I said, we're in the middle of Lent. Then we've got Palm Sunday, we've got Easter, all that good stuff. Listen, if the reasons, friends, that you come on Sunday mornings, that you practice these various things, maybe you do, like I said, maybe you do practice Lent, and that's fine. Um, you know, we, we're going to be talking about Palm Sunday, we've got Easter, you know, we've got Christmas, all those kinds of things. If the reasons you practice this stuff, you know, involves, you know, Grandma's always done it this way. She's always showed up to church that day. I should probably do that. Mom and dad are making me. I have to because mom and dad said I have to go. It's that time of the year. Better, better do this. So better grab a palm branch or something. It's, it's that time of the year. You know, everybody else is doing it. I, I should probably do it too. I don't want to look like a cast, you know, an outcast or anything like that. Um, maybe, maybe the reason is I want to look holy. I really want to make sure everybody knows that, that I am saved and that I know what I'm doing here. Um, maybe you're thinking God will probably like me more if I do that. If I do this, if I fast, if I pray a little bit more, God will probably like me a little bit more. You know, or, or maybe, you know what, life is, life is really rough right now. I'm having a really hard time. I'm having a lot of difficulties Maybe if I up the church attendance or up my tithe or maybe increase, you know, my prayer time and maybe my Bible reading from one verse to three verses. And, hey, you know, maybe God will answer my prayers and answer my requests. Listen, friends, if those kinds of things are the reasons that you're doing stuff, you're probably falling into this problem that God has talked about in Corinthians, that that. God is saying to the people through Zechariah. 
Listen, friends, we're suffering with selfishness, and the glory and honor of God are being, are being taken out to pasture is really what it is. Man, I just want to get this done. I need to do this. This is good. And the glory, the honor of God, we're just setting it off to the side here. And that's what God is saying in these verses that we've seen. Listen, friends, God wants and needs to be at the center of all you do. Romans chapter 14, starting at verse 5, says this. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day, observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. God wants us to make him at the center of all of these things. All of these things. Now, don't mishear me, friends. We all, you know, we all have to start at a certain point. And I know most everybody in here isn't, isn't struggling necessarily with that issue. You know, some people will come to church and they'll be like, okay, well, I'm just going to do this and, and see if this works. Listen, there's an aspect to where God will honor that because at least you're stepping out on a limb and, and seeking him. Okay, there is an aspect there to that. And for some of you, you might be sitting here, you might be struggling, you're, you're in a rut or something, and you can't seem to get out. And so maybe you do something to, to try to, you might be thinking in your mind, I just want to wake God up to, to my situation to kind of see. And listen, there, there really isn't a whole lot wrong with that thinking initially, but you have to get to the point of maturity. There has to get to that point of, Am I thinking too much about myself? Is it only me that I'm thinking about? And I'm not giving honor to the Lord. We have to move on to maturity. We have to think of oneself, think of oneself's needs to go to the back burner, and the honoring of God needs to come to the focal point, has to come to the front. And we have to start thinking about, Lord, I know you can provide for me. I know you can help me out in this situation. But, Lord, I'm going to gather together with these folks. I'm going to celebrate this holiday. I'm going to celebrate this kind of thing with you at the center of it. I'm not going to do this because I want something in return because I think I should get something or, or any of those things. I'm just going to do it because you are God and you deserve all the honor. You deserve all the glory. So that's why I'm going to practice that. That's why I'm going to do that. So... Now that God has the folks thinking in the book of Zechariah, he continues on with his response. So he said right at the end, if you remember that last question um, that he said while he talked to them, were not these the words the Lord proclaimed by the former prophets when Jerusalem was inhabited and prosperous with her cities around her and the south and the lowland were inhabited? So he asked that question. You know, back in the day, he reminds them that this is what he said to their fathers. Listen, when, when you did stuff, were you doing it for me or were you doing it for yourselves? So in verse 8, he says, you know, this is what I told him to do. And the word of the Lord came to Zechariah saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor. And let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. So God 
tells him, this is what I said to them, and get it into your brain now because I'm still saying this today. That's why he uses the present term when he's talking about this. It's, it's kind of a combo platter. This is what I told them, and guess what? It's still true today. This is what I want you to focus on. I want you to get your mind off of yourself, get in on my glory, and start acting like my people, and start living as if I am your God, and I am at the center of all you do. God then reminds the current people what happened when their fathers didn't do what they were supposed to do in verse 11. Verse 11, but they refused to pay attention and turned a stubborn shoulder and stopped their ears that they might not hear. They made their hearts diamond hard lest they should hear the law and the words of the Lord of hosts uh, had sent by his spirit through the former prophets. Therefore, great anger came from the Lord of hosts as I called and they would not hear. So they called and I would not hear, says the Lord of hosts. And I scattered them with a whirlwind among all the nations that they had not known. Thus the land they left was desolate so that no one went to and fro and the pleasant land was made desolate. I told them to do these things. They decided to become rock hard against these things. And so what did I have to do? I had to scatter them everywhere, which the wind would take them. I had to take them to other places. They had to move. I had to discipline them in this way. I had to punish them in this way. And so God comes out and he lets them know, listen, friends, you have to put me in the middle. If you're not going to put me in the middle, you're going to do stuff for yourself. You're not going to do the things that I've called you to do. Then fine, this is what's going to happen. Like I said, friends, you have to start somewhere, but you have to move on to maturity by glorifying God. If not, friends, listen, it is not God that will be left by the side of the road. It's us. God's not going to be like, oh, well, you didn't listen to me. Well, that's a bummer. I'm, I'm, I'm now weaker. No, it's us that will be weaker. It's us that will be trampled on by the world. If we don't figure it out, we start maturing and saying, Lord, I'm going to put you at the center. I'm going to start being obedient to what you've called me to do. And I'm going to do this for your purposes, for your glory, for your honor. If we're not doing it that way, we're the ones that get left on the side of the road. We're the ones that are going to be scattered by the wind. So, God still hasn't answered the question yet. We're at the end of chapter 7. God still hasn't answered the question. However, he decides to build up to the answer. And the first thing that he says in chapter 8, verse 1, And then the word of the Lord of hosts came, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Zion with great jealousy, and I am jealous for her with great wrath. Real quick here. I'll try to make sure that I stay on here because this isn't in my notes. Listen, friends. God was jealous for his people. He's still jealous for his people. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks about you. Your spouse, your kids, your, your coworkers, fellow students, your peers. God will always be jealous for you. Always jealous for you. Not of you. I mean, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He doesn't care about that. For you. He wants you to be a part of the family. He wants to draw you in. He wouldn't have sent his son to die on a cross if he wasn't jealous for you. And just like he was jealous for the people of Israel, for the people of Judah, he's jealous for those that now would claim his son as their Lord and Savior. I am jealous for these people, and I will do anything to draw them in. So when he says, you know, he says, yeah, I scattered them with the wind. I had to put them into exile. But man... I'm jealous for these people. I'm jealous for them. What does he say? I'm jealous for them. Uh, I'm jealous for them with great jealousy. I'm jealous for them with great wrath. 
I'm going to take out the people that are causing destruction, that are causing heartache for these people beyond what I have commanded them to bring them. I'm jealous for these people. And so he says, listen, I'm jealous for these people, so I'm bringing you guys back. I'm bringing you guys back. And so look at what he says uh, in verse 3. Thus says the Lord, I have returned to Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and Jerusalem shall be called the faithful city and the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. Thus says the Lord of hosts, old men and old women shall sit again in the streets of Jerusalem, each with staff in hand because of great age. And the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in its streets. Thus says the Lord of, of, of hosts, if it is marvelous in the sight of, of the remnant of this people in those days, should it also be marvelous in my sight, declares the Lord of hosts. Thus uh, says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will save my people from the east country and from the west country, and I will bring them to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God in faithfulness and in righteousness. So first off here, friends, as we get through verse 8 there, God is showing that peace is going to be brought back to Jerusalem. Wisdom within the people is going to be brought back to Jerusalem. Then he discusses another major focal point that will be happening in Jerusalem in verse 9. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Let your hands be strong, you who in these days have been, who have been hearing these words from the mouth of the prophets who were present on the day that the foundation of the house of the Lord of hosts was laid, that the temple might be built. Verse 10, for before those days there was no wage for man or any wage for beast, neither was there any safety for the foe for him who went out or came in, for I set every man against his neighbor. But now I will not deal with the remnant of this people as in the former days, declares the Lord of hosts, for there shall shall be a sowing of peace. The vine shall give its fruit and the ground shall give its produce and the heavens shall give their due. And I will cause the remnant of this people to possess all these things. And as you have been a byword of cursing among the nations, O house of Judah and house of Israel, so will I save you and you shall be a blessing. Fear not, but let your hearts and hands be strong. Listen, friends, there will be provision. There will be peace. There will be posterity. Everything is happening. When people looked at Israel as a joke, God would use them as a blessing. You were a byword. People looked at you and said, this is a joke. Look at this nation. These people are morons. But now it's changed. I've brought you back. You're building that temple. Once that temple is built and everything is going in the way that it should, in the direction it should go, and you've been faithful to me, people are going to start looking towards you and saying, oh my goodness, look at this people. They're different now. And now they're a blessing. Now listen, this had a little bit to do with them up until the time of Christ. It had a lot to do with them when Christ came to the earth and, and that peace came and he came and, and he established the way and then all of a sudden it has a lot to do with us and even all the more to do with the future new Jerusalem that we, that we see in the book of Revelation. God is establishing all of this, though, right now as he speaks to the people in Zechariah. Listen, I'm bringing peace. I'm bringing posterity. I'm bringing provision. This is going to be an amazing work. And this is why, because I'm jealous for you. I want you to get beyond your selfishness. I want you to get beyond your disobedience. I want you to get beyond all of those things and realize that I am for you and that I have these plans for you. He then encourages them and tells them to do what their fathers 
didn't do, uh, again, in verse 14, verse 14, for thus says the Lord of hosts, as I purpose to bring disaster to you when your fathers provoked me to wrath, I did not, and I did not relent, says the Lord of hosts, so again have I purposed in these days to bring good to Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Fear not. These are the things that you shall do. Speak truth to one another. Render in your gates judgment that are true and make for peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another and love no false oath for all these things I hate declares the Lord so he says all the passion that I had and all the 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 feeling energy whatever you want to call it that I had towards your fathers in disciplining them and punishing them for the things that they had done wrong all that that I put into that guess what I'm now turning it and I'm putting all that energy and all that focus and all that power into blessing you. Now you will do these things and you'll see this blessing. All of these things I'm bringing forth, all the, all the, all the anger and, and, and the punishment and the discipline is now going to be turned over to blessing and guidance and leading in those things because you're, you're, you're going to be obedient. These things that I purposed over here, I'm now changing the purpose to over here. And we're going to change how this looks, and, and this is how it's going to work. And, and really what you're seeing here, you know, so many people are like, ah, the God of the Old Testament is all angry and throwing lightning bolts and da 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 He was because of the discipline, the punishment that needed to be done on the people. But then what do you see here? You see that grace. You see that forgiveness. You see that mercy that shows up after the time of punishment and discipline that he had established. So he brings all of that, and then, praise him almighty, he answers the question. <laughs> remember? Remember, you may have forgotten. They actually came and asked him, should we keep fasting? <laughs> you know, and, and I could just see maybe some of the people sitting there. That's great. Can you answer the question that we gave you? <laughs> What's the answer, Lord? Verse 18, and the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the fast, now listen to this, of the fourth month, and the fast of the fifth month, and the fast of the seventh month, and the fast of the tenth month. So one, it started out with just one group that was fasting on the fifth month come up, comes up and ask, and then after, uh, at the beginning of the answer, he, he says, oh, by the way, the, this is also for those that were doing it in the seventh month. Oh, and by the way, for the reader that doesn't know this, there was a, a whole other group that was doing it on the fourth month, and another group that was doing it on the tenth month. I mean, we, we were just fasting all time, just very groups were doing it all over the place. So, so he comes up and he says, tell this to the people who fasted on the fourth, the fifth, the seventh, the tenth month, ah, shall be to the house of Judah seasons of joy and gladness and cheerful feasts. Therefore, love, truth, and peace. He pretty much comes out and says, listen, no, don't fast anymore. Turn those times of fasting into feasting. Go from fasts and mourning and weeping and, oh, I'm so terrible, blah, 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 to look at everything I just showed you. Now turn into rejoicing. Feast. Eat it up. Grab a steak. Grab some potatoes. Don't eat lobster. Sad, isn't it? So glad Jesus came. It's all good. Anyways, feast it up. Eat it up. 
It's we we want you. I, I, we I want you to be happy. I want you to see how great of a work I'm doing. All the more as 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 they're about to see their day approaching of when Jesus comes. I mean, these guys won't see because it's going to be about another 400 years. But but to to for him to say, listen, I want you to change it. I want you to to look at this differently. Go from fasting, go to feasting. Change the way that we're doing those things. Rejoice and celebrate for all the good that the Lord is doing and is going to do. Then he throws in one last powerful prophecy for the people in verse 20. Thus says the Lord of hosts, People shall yet come, even the inhabitants of many cities. The inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, Let us go at once to entreat the favor of the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. I myself am going. Many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to entreat the favor of the Lord. Verse 23, thus says the Lord of hosts, in those days, 10 men from the nations of every tongue shall take hold of the robe of a Jew, saying, let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Now that is talking about Jesus. And he's saying, listen, there's going to come a day. You know, you were a byword, you're, you're ridiculed and all these things. But there's going to come a day when people from other languages, from other towns, from other areas are going to come and say, you know who God is? Let me go with you because I want to know more about your God. It's going to change. All of this is going to change. And so God is saying, listen, let's let it all change. I'm changing it all. I'm making good works. I'm doing new things. You guys do good works, do new things, do these things that I love, that I love to see. I love to see peace. I love to see you building each other up. I love to see you providing for each other. I love to see you feasting with each other. I love to see that with you guys. I love to see the camaraderie. I love to see all of that coming together. Now do it. Because there's going to come a day when, when, when I'm going to send my son and, and people are just going to fawn over him. And they're going to love him and they're going to say, there's peace, there's hope, there's joy. And guess what? It's going to happen again. And so we're kind of in, in, in the same position that, that those returning exiles were in, right? As we sit here and we're in times in our lives when you go, what? It's time to feast. It's time to celebrate. Thank you, God, for sending your son, that he rose again, that he conquered death. That's amazing. That's awesome. Thank you for Palm Sunday, Lord God. As Jesus came down on, on the donkey and, and we, we saw our king coming into Jerusalem, powerful as he was. But then there's also going to be times of fasting. There's going to be times when you have to say, Lord, I need to see your power. I do need your help here, Lord. And you don't sit there and you fast because you're like, oh, look at me, Lord. I'm so holy and I'm so great. Or, or woe upon me. I'm such a sinner. That's not the purpose for fasting, friends. The purpose for fasting is to say, Lord, I trust in you. I know you can do all things. And I trust you so much that I will let go of the very thing that I know sustains me. And that's food. And I'm going to let that go. And say, I trust in my God, who is all-powerful. I know he can bring salvation to my lost aunt, to my lost cousin, to my lost brother, to my lost spouse. I know the Lord can provide 
with this with this great thing that's that's standing in front of my family that's standing in front of me whether it's my job whether it's a relationship whether it's school whatever it may be there's this massive mountain in the way but guess what i'm going to let go of my food of my very sustenance my physical sustenance and say lord you're in charge i'm coming after you god and maybe just maybe it would be lord i'm going to let go of my sustenance. I'm going to deny myself my creature comforts because I just want to worship you. I just want to praise you. I want to make sure that I'm not worshiping the food that I eat, the car that I drive, the house that I live in, the spouse that I'm married to, the children that you've given me. I'm worshiping you. I'm making you the focal point. I'm making you the center, Lord God. And in honor of that, Lord, I mean, of course you wouldn't get a divorce or or kill your kids or anything like that. I'm just talking about food. (laughs) But you would release something that says, this is of significance, but Lord, you are of more significance than the food that I eat. And that's why. That's what God was looking for. That's what God was saying to these people. Listen, I want you to go from fasting to feasting. But as we continue to read in the scriptures, as, as Jesus comes to earth, there, there, was, there was going to be times for fasting. And what does, what's the command that Jesus gives when it came to fasting? He literally said, you know, don't go out there looking all mopey and, oh, I'm so hungry. I wish I could eat that sub. <laughs> look at all that great food you're eating. But look at me. I, I have to fast. He doesn't say that. He literally says, put some makeup on so that you don't look so pale because you look pale because you're not eating anything. (laughs) Put a smile on your face and give glory to God. Because guess what? Like we said, they still had issues with this. We still have issues where we struggle with selfishness, where we struggle with these kinds of things. But God has given us a way and shown us, listen, that's not what I'm looking for. That's not what I want you to do. I want you to make me at the center of all that you do. And when you do that, there's joy, there's peace, there's answers, there's knowledge, there's wisdom. All of those things are there if we would just put God at the center, at the middle of it. Why don't you stand with me today as we close this up? I don't know if you're practicing Lent, you know, the the fasting for 40 days and stuff. Um... Uh, if you are, make sure it's about God. It's not about you. It's not about that time of the year. It's about God. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, the feast that God introduced in Leviticus 23, that there was a timing for them. You know, it's like, okay, this is the time to practice that. But God did that to, to help the human mind figure out when to do those kinds of things. But that's not the reason that they did it. The reason that they did it was to celebrate the Lord, was to rejoice in the Lord. So, you know, you're going to have dates for those kinds of things, but that is not the reason you do it. You do it because, you know what, we've decided to gather together and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. We decided to get together and celebrate the birth of Jesus. We decided to get together and celebrate Jesus coming in as king. We decided to get together and say, you know what? Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. I'm going to fast what I can within a 40-day period to see the Lord work, to see the Lord move. Not because I'm supposed to, but because I want to, because I want to see the Lord work. 
So as we pray today, start thinking about those things and start thinking about what the Holy Spirit may be calling you to do. Maybe you're, you're, you're maybe a little bit more intrigued about fasting. Maybe you're a little bit more intrigued about, maybe I should, you know, start praying more regularly as opposed to just when things are getting difficult. Maybe I should open up my Bible a little bit more than just when things are getting difficult. Maybe I should do it on a daily basis because I should be doing it for the Lord.